So uh, this is a new uh, sermon series. We just started it last week. It's going to last for eight weeks. It's called The Ten. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. It's so, so important. If we're going to take Jesus seriously to understand the world he came from. And uh, the Ten Commandments is a great way to understand the, the fertile soil out of which Jesus' life and legacy grew. And so uh, I encouraged you, urged you last week to familiarize yourself with the Ten Commandments by memorizing them. <laughs> Any luck? Did anyone memorize the Ten Commandments? No, one person. All right. Ma'am, I want to see you in my office after the service today. We'll have the test. And if you get it, I will give you a lifetime supply of sermons and church. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, I reminded you last week, there's two tablets. The first tablet, the first four commandments, they are the commandments that talk about our relationship with God. And so uh, we talked about one and two last week. We're going to get to three uh, next week and then four later on. Uh, and then the second tablet, commandments five through ten, uh, are six commandments about how we should relate to each other. Uh, and so you can't have one without the other. You can't separate your relationship with God from your relationship with other people. It doesn't happen that way. So they, they go together. They're intertwined, right? So, uh, so we're talking about today the first commandment in terms of our relationships with each other, and it has to do with your family. It has to do with your parents honoring your father and your mother, honoring your father and your mother is our topic today. You see, uh, you can find it on your study guides if you'll pull those out or uh, in your Bibles, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So... Every sermon presents its unique challenges sometimes, but this one was especially challenging because everybody's in a different place when it comes to their parents. So when I ask you the question, how are you honoring your mom and dad, like, that's going to land in a different place for you depending on where you are in terms of life stage and where you are in terms of your relationship with them. And so if I were to guess, I would think there's a bell curve in the room today and about 20% of you are just fine with honoring mom and dad because they're like the best mom and dad that ever lived. Like you've talked to them three times on the phone already this morning. Like you've already like checked in with them Sunday morning. We're coming over for lunch. Okay. Like they're just the parents that are there for you. They've always been there for you, you know, ever since you were a kid. You know, your house was where all your friends wanted to come and hang out because of the kind of culture your parents set in their home. It was a place of love and warmth and generosity of spirit. Your parents were at everything you ever did. And if they couldn't make it to something, if they didn't make your game, it was like they owed you like the world's biggest apology. Like it was the biggest deal for them to miss something because they were always at everything, every game, every recital, and you were awful at the piano, but they cheered like you were Bach, you know, just bravo, it's like twinkle, twinkle, bravo. You know, like your parents were always just those 
parents and they always stood by you when you had a problem and when you got into adolescence, they always understood you and they sat down to you and they actually gave you a good talk about what was going on with your body and stuff and it wasn't awkward and they, they weren't silent about it. They just, they loved you and when you were turning 16, they taught you how to drive and maybe they surprised you with a, a car or, you know, when you were a junior in high school, they laid down their lives to take you across the country to tour campuses, you know, the campuses that they were going to be paying for you to attend anyway because they'd been working like dogs their whole life to save money to pay for your education. You had those parents that modeled not just good parenting for you. They modeled good marriage for you. If you're in that 20%, your parents are still maddeningly, sickeningly in love. They still go on dates after all these years. You know, it's gross, and your dad pats your mom on the behind or steals a kiss, and you kind of gag a little. But it also, you smile to yourself because it brings you a little bit of comfort to know that in this cynical and sick world, love like that still exists. It's still possible to have that. It comforts you. They modeled for you that kind of love. Now, it hasn't always been easy, and you know that about them. You know they went through some rough patches, but somehow they found a way for the rough patches to make them stronger instead of pulling them apart. Your parents, if you're in that 20%, have given you so much, and honoring them is not a problem. Maybe you should do it more often and say it more often and, and, and let them know a little more often, but uh, you have it in your heart. It's not a problem if you're in that 20%. And there's the other end of that bell curve in the room today, right now. People for whom the idea of honoring father and mother is so painful, so far beyond the pale. 20% of you right now are thinking, if I had known this was the, th the topic today, I would have stayed home and gotten ready for the Texans game. I would have not come. I would have done something else. And you're checking out of this sermon because honoring father and mother, no, not for me. Now, some of you are like, well, it's just that one word. It's and. That's the problem. If it said honor your father or your mother, I could handle that. Like I can do that. But honor your father and your mother. Why, God? Why? You know, like 20% of you really struggle with that. And I do not want to dismiss your pain. It is real. In most cases, very legitimate. It is not your fault. It was done to you, some neglect, some abuse, some abandonment that you did not deserve as an innocent child. And you carry that resentment and that unforgiveness in your heart. You carry that burden that you were given by a deadbeat father or an abusive mother or something, some version of that. Talk to a guy who's, who was here at 9... We have a 9.40 service now, by the way, instead of 9.30. Tell your friends. Uh, <laughs> that was random. Uh, but the guy, this guy was telling me his, his parents have just stopped talking to him because they don't like the girl he's seeing. She's a single mother and she's got two kids and that's not the life that they had for him. And so they've not only cut him off from communications, they've cut him out of their will so that those kids that aren't his don't get their money. You know, that kind of thing, that kind of pettiness, y'all know, some of you, that 20% of you, you know exactly how hurtful that can be. Honor, mother and father, I'll, I'll just settle for 9 out of 10, right? Like, it's still an A, right? <laughs> 9 out of 10 ain't bad, right? Like I can just get the other 9 right. 
And then there's uh, 60% of you in the room, 60% the high point of the bell curve that are just kind of bored by the idea of honoring father and mother. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. We're, we're fine. Uh, you know, it's kind of boring, kind of blah. Like, yeah, I talked to him a few weeks ago. I told him. I love them, and I'll come by when I can. You know, that kind of a, that kind of a blasé, uh, uh, almost a mediocre approach to your relationship with your parents. I, I hope to have something uh, to say to you all today uh, as well. Um, but the point is we're all over the place when it comes to our relationship with our parents. Uh, some of you have parents that are still living, still with us. Some of you, your parents are gone, or one of your parents is, is gone, is, has died. So we're, we're just all over the map, and I... I wanted y'all to get uh, to talking with your uh, chapter groups and things like that during the week. So I gave you a one to ten uh, scale, like just to check in about it and just to say like how how awkward or complicated is this conversation for you in terms of uh, honoring mother and father. With one being, it's not awkward at all. We're like we're like the cleavers, you know, from Leave It to Beaver, and like everything's perfect, and we always get along, and we solve our problems, and Dad is gainfully employed, and Mom is like baking cakes every day, and they're like they're happy, they're sleeping in separate twin beds, which is weird, but they're super happy, you know, and like and and everything's good at home, and. That might define some of you. Uh, the, the second family I identified there from like three to four, three to five is the, the Brady bunch, right? So the Bradys, they were a good family, a solid family, a, an awesome family, but it was messy, right? It was a little messy. It was not how they write it up in the, in the fairy tale, right? It was a blended family. We have quite a few awesome blended families. Then I, uh, I lifted up the example of the, the Huxtables. <clears throat> the, the Huxtables seemed like a really solid family. But as it turns out, there were some serious issues. Like all these years, who knew Heathcliff Huxtable was such a weirdo, right? Like who knew? Some of you have families that look normal from the outside, but on the inside, it's maybe not what it looks like. And then the last example was from Game of Thrones. Uh, I said, uh, you're the Targaryens. Uh, I meant to say Lannisters, and I do not know how a nerd like me could mix up the Targaryens and the Lannisters because the Lannisters are the really messed up family, right? That's the real problematic family. But the Targaryens, are, they're pretty bad too, right? Like uh, da- Daenerys' brother was trying to sell her off to Khal Drogo, and, and then Khal Drogo, you know, bathed him and, oh, and gold that was melted and, uh, you know, and made a cast of him. And his sister watched him die and said, well, he's not a dragon. You know, that kind of a thing. You remember that part? Anyone? All right. <clears throat> Game of Thrones chapter starting this week. I have the story for the six of us. But anyway, your family, your family might be a bloodbath. It might be a mess. And this commandment might be especially difficult for you. This commandment, as we look at it today and study it, it's unique in two ways. It's important that we lay this foundation. First of all, it's unique among the other commandments. It is the only one of the ten that comes with a promise. This commandment is the only one where it says, do this and this will happen. None of the other ones do that. Only this one. It says in Exodus 12, 20, 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. It's important that we note that uh, we don't really think God is promising longevity to each person who honors their parents. It's more a question of purpose and quality. So quality of life. So the reason, the purpose God brought the people out of Egypt and into this land uh, was so that they would flourish and, and that the whole world would, be, would, would know him through them. 
That was their purpose. And so he's saying, honor your father and mother. It's more likely then that your children and their children will honor you and you'll pass down this legacy of honor and the purpose for your community will be fulfilled. So it's about honor, it's about legacy, it's about quality of life from one generation to the next. Now, the other way that, that commandment number five is unique is uh, compared to other legal codes of ancient times, right? So y'all know, I hope you know, that the Ten Commandments were not the only or the first ancient legal code. The Ten Commandments were kind of late to the party, actually, compared to other Mediterranean cultures. So the Ten Commandments, we think, were handed down somewhere around the year 1400 and change, B.C., 1400 B.C., right? Well, there are legal codes that we've uncovered that go back to 2000 B.C., right? So Ten Commandments, a little late to the party, but you can compare, right? That makes it fun. Like, you can compare and see what were the differences in how they understood God calling them to live or the gods calling them to live. And in this case, uh, there's one thing that sets apart this commandment from all the other moral family legal codes. And there were many. This is the only one I've been able to find that sets women in equality with men. Honor your father and your mother. It's not a big deal today to say honor mom and dad. Okay. But times have changed a lot. 3,500 years ago, This concept of mother alongside father as an equal, an equal recipient of honor would have been entirely unique. So it wasn't uncommon to say honor your family name, honor your father's legacy, you know, that kind of a deal. But honor your mother alongside your father, this was kind of new. I think it's important for us. I've said it time and again. People don't believe me because things have been said about the Bible being anti-woman. The Bible, if you know how to read it, it was feminist before feminism was cool or PC and all that stuff. The Bible was lifting up women and equality with men from the very beginning. Now, were there problems along the way in human history? Absolutely. Did misogyny have a stronghold on the people of God for a time? Absolutely. Is there still a problem today? with misogyny and putting women in their place or degrading, denigrating, talking down to, humiliating, objectifying women in ways we would not dream of doing to men. I think we still have that problem today. But let anyone guilty of such a sin know they'll have to face God about that one day. Because our God has always lifted women up from the very beginning as equal to men. Equal in terms of deserving respect and honor. So uh, that's how this commandment uh, stands apart from other legal codes. Now, some of that, for those of you who are really struggling with this commandment, uh, none of that matters. All that really matters is that word honor. Because if we don't figure out what that word means, you're not going to give me the time of day. And you're definitely not going to find a way to honor your mom and dad. Because I think most of you... If you're struggling with this, what you're probably thinking is that to honor your mom and dad means going to them and just saying they were right all along. It means going and saying and submitting to whatever it is they have you to do or going to them and obeying whatever they want you to do. You know, for that guy that's at the 940 service, it would mean breaking up with this, with this woman uh, because his parents told him to. That is not what honor means in the Old Testament. In, in this passage, in this commandment, the word honor does not mean obey. 
I'm not making that up because I want it to be true. It's just true. There's a whole other word for obey. And kids, if you're listening, please don't go home and tell your mom and dad that Pastor Eric said, I don't have to obey you because that's not what it means. No, that's, there's plenty of other passages that do say children obey your parents, okay? So don't get me in trouble with that. This passage, however, means something different. The word honor in this passage doesn't mean enable or excuse bad behavior or obey them in your adulthood. It, it means something else. The, word, the Hebrew word for, uh, for honor was a word, kaved or kaved, that means to give weight to or to treat heavily. There's an antithesis to this uh, passage a little later in Exodus where they use the opposite of this word. And it means literally to treat lightly. And so we know uh, exactly what this word meant in its context. It meant to give proper credit to or proper weight to to uh, give proper thoughtfulness and, and uh, integrity to. So uh, context here matters. Apparently what's happening in the Israelite community post-Exodus, post-slavery, is that they're out in the wilderness trying to build this new community, this new way of life. And they're starting to be hunter-gatherers. They're starting to work for a living. They're starting to, to build a society, right? But there's this older generation of people who all they've ever known was slavery. They were born into slavery. They've been slaves all their lives. They've never really worked for a living or made their own way. They've just done what they were told, and there was food waiting for them when they got back to their slave quarters, that kind of thing. And so there's this problem in the Israelite community where the younger generation is kind of casting out the older generation, their moms and dads, because they're not earning their keep. They're not doing what we think they should do. To, to stick around and benefit from the community. You have uh, other examples of this in the Old Testament, like in the Proverbs. There's several Proverbs, actually, that speak uh, to this uh, problem. One of them uh, is uh, from Proverbs 19, verse 26. It says that those who do violence to their father and chase away their mother are children who cause shame and bring reproach. And so what this commandment is talking about is providing for your elderly parents in their old age. It is uh, Old Testament call for social security, family-based social security. Yeah, your parents aren't doing everything you think they should. Yeah, they're not pulling their own weight. It doesn't matter. They are your responsibility. You will not cast them out. You will honor them in their old age and make sure they have a roof over their heads providing for their needs. Now, we've gotten, used to, we've gotten used to the government and whatever being responsible for that, Social Security and retirement plans, and that's all great. But I feel the need to remind everybody here that all that stuff, government-based stuff, it's fine. It is finite. It won't last forever. And we should never forget that we are primarily responsible for the well-being of our parents in their old age, financial well-being as well as just emotional and social well-being. So, so important. So in the Old Testament times, to honor your father and mother meant to treat them with empathy, to understand that, yeah, they're this way for a reason, because all they ever knew was slavery. Yeah, my parents, they don't know how to hunt and gather because they've been in chains their whole life. They were born into chains. Yeah, of course they are the way they are. Of course they let us down the way that they do because that's what their lives have done to them. Their lives have been hard. 
To honor them is to understand the story of their lives and to take care of them anyway. It's called mercy. So I have a friend who I grew up with, very close friend. Uh, I'm a couple years older than him, but we hung out a lot uh, when we were growing up. And his father, man, his father was just never around. All the other dads in my town were always there for everything. All the other dads were there for baseball games and football games and scout meetings. And all the other dads worked hard to put food on the table. This friend of mine, his dad never held a job. And it's not that he was bouncing around from one job to another. Like a lot of my friends had dads that did that. But this guy, he just never even tried to put food on the table. And, you know, it was pretty sad for my friend and his brother because everybody talked about their dad like he was a deadbeat. He was a ghost. You know, I knew he existed. I knew his name. I knew his face. I'd seen it a couple times. but And I knew he still lived at home, but he just never did anything for his boys. One time I was hanging out, and this memory is so vivid in my mind. I was about 17. He was about 15. We were hanging out together, and I was just complaining. Like teenagers sometimes do, I was just complaining about my parents, specifically about my dad. We were butting heads. I was getting into so much trouble during that time in my life. And I just, I hated the way my dad wanted to control me, and he just wasn't what I thought he should be, right? And you could see the anger in my friend's face, of course, because how insincere of me to complain about my father when I've just been spoiled rotten my whole life to complain about my dad and his presence. And he just said at some point, you have no idea how lucky you are. You have no idea what you've got. He said, your dad has been more of a father to me than my dad has. And he was right. My dad was always the one to go pick him up for practice. Or one time my dad went to open house at his school and talked to his teacher for him. You know, like one, it's just my dad stood in the gap for his dad. He was like, I would give anything to have a dad like your dad. And I'm sitting there. Complaining, you know, and so I started to think about what it would have been like to have been raised with a ghost father like he had. And some of us who have been spoiled, we need to think this through. How angry would you be? How would it affect every facet of your life to be raised with a dad like that? How cheated would you feel? I'd walk around every day with a chip on my shoulder. And so I asked him, in language I can't really use at church, I said, doesn't it make you mad that your dad is the way that he is? Aren't you angry with him too? Because I'd never heard him say a bad word about his dad. As close as we were. And he said, no. He said, I get sad. It makes me sad. But I'm not angry at him. I don't blame him because I know what he went through. And what he was referring to is that everybody knew that his dad had gone off to Vietnam. And everybody knew that before Vietnam, his dad was a different guy entirely than when he came back. And everybody knew the horrific things he must have seen that made him who he was. The reason his dad didn't go to church with the family like all the other dads did is because he couldn't be around a large group of people. The reason his dad didn't show up at baseball games where fireworks are going off and things like that, football games, you know, is because he had seen too many of his friends torn limb from limb by landmines, you know, just horrific. 
PTSD kind of things that they didn't really know what to do with back then. But my friend, he understood this about his father. And because he understood his father's story, he had mercy on his father. You see how important it is to know someone's story? Mercy. At this church, we have claimed a mantra, uh, you know, everybody has a story and every story matters to God. I hope that it's more than just a pretty saying. I hope it really does identify who we are at our core. I hope that we never lose interest in learning each other's stories because you never know why someone is the way that they are until you know the wars they've fought and the battles they've waged. Sometimes we go about our lives, our daily lives, and instead of really taking time to learn someone's story, we just judge each other. And we're so harsh with how we judge each other sometimes. Like inequitably harsh. Somebody does one thing to us in one moment on one day and we judge them for all time. Like if you think about how you feel when the guy cuts you off, a guy you've never met, the things you think about that person, that son of God, like he was someone's baby and to you he's just the world's greatest jerk because he cut you off. Maybe he's just a jerk. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he got bad news from his doctor the day before and he's just not all with it today. Maybe that woman you're convinced is rude because of the way she looked at you or the way she talked to you. Maybe she's just a rude person. I doubt it. My experience with rude people is that they've had one too many other people being rude to them or, or they just haven't quite learned how to trust and how to love. Maybe she's just rude or maybe the night before her husband told her he wants out. You just don't know. You just don't know what someone has been through in the days and weeks, months, or minutes before they're standing in front of you. And unless we take time to learn their stories, it's going to be really hard for us to be merciful and to honor them, even if what they're doing in front of us is dishonorable. And the same principle applies for our parents, for your mother and your father. And if you're someone who really struggles to lift up your mother or father to a place of honor, I want to suggest that Maybe you need to dig back a little further and learn the back story. Learn the story that your mother and your father lived before you were even around. Learn the circumstances that shaped them into the people that they became. I guarantee you, if they raised you out of brokenness, if they raised you out of hatefulness, or, or, or if they just didn't know how to embrace and love you, that came from some place. It didn't just happen. They didn't just decide to be that way. So learning to see them with empathy is part of learning to honor even a dishonorable father because you never know the wars your parents waged. You never know the battles they fought. Maybe before you even walked the earth. Let's watch how quick we are to judge our mother and our father. Now, 
What this means is that honoring them doesn't mean excusing their bad behavior. You don't have to just completely let them off the hook or to enable further bad behavior. That's not honor. It just means seeing them through an empathetic lens and choosing to have mercy on them. Some of you, I heard some people saying, uh, I overheard a conversation where the question was, do we even have to worry about the commandments? Because didn't Jesus come and make everything okay? Like, do we still have to even follow these rules? Because Jesus is all we need, right? And I, I know for those for whom this is a difficult commandment, that would be welcome news. That's just not the case. Jesus said, I have not come to, to negate the laws or throw them out. I've come to fulfill them. So what would it mean for Jesus to be the fulfillment of honor your mother and your father? Well, a couple of things, first of all, they're very obvious. He honored his heavenly father. We know that his father in heaven was proud of him. We know that when he was baptized, the voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He honored his father. Now, we also have examples of his relationship with Mary, his mother. We know that he honored his mother in a very Old Testament kind of way, in the way that we just talked about was happening in Exodus, like when he's hanging on the cross in John 19. Standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and his disciples, whom he loved, standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. You see what he's doing? He's providing for her needs, making sure she's taken care of. She has a roof over her head and has some income and some support. After he's gone, this is a good son. Even though he's experiencing the utmost in terms of pain, humiliation, and suffering, he's making sure his mom is taken care of. So we have that to look to as Jesus fulfilling the law to honor your father and your mother. But that's really just a fraction of what matters most. Because it's not what he said while he was on the cross that matters. It's what he does on the cross that really matters in terms of fulfilling the commandment to honor each other, to honor your father and your mother, right? So what he does is what matters most. And Christians always say things like, Jesus died for you. Uh, Jesus died for us. And I think we Christians, like, we kind of get it, and we just go, yeah, 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 he did. But have you ever heard those words through the ears of, like, a non-religious person? Like, I sometimes wonder how skeptical people must feel when we say, Jesus died for you. It's like, okay, but why? I didn't ask him to. Like, he didn't really have to do that. Like, he could have just stayed alive. We would have been okay. We could have been close. You know, like, that kind of thing must cross their minds. But we've kind of made it into a religious lexicon. But it's really, really important that we understand what we mean when we say Jesus died for you. You have to know the story. And here it is for thousands of years before Jesus, every human civilization, every human people group developed a system of sacrifice, a system of guilt and compensation where you did this wrong, but you could make it right this way, and it almost always involved the shedding of uh, living things' blood. And the worse stuff you did, the more valuable the blood had to be. And so 
This wasn't just the Hebrew people. It was all the people that ever lived before Jesus. They had this system. And in every single system, a religion emerged. And a few guys over here were profiting off everyone else's guilt and shame. Selling them the things you had to sacrifice. And so without fail, it always ended up being that the wealthier you were, the closer you could get to God. Because like it was, you know, uh, if you did something petty, if you, if you parked and you just don't know how to park and you parked and you were straddling the white line and you took up two spaces instead of one, right, like which is an egregious sin, don't get me wrong, don't do that. In Houston especially, you can, you're better than that, right, but like if you do that, maybe like a pigeon's blood or something, you know, like a pigeon. There's plenty of those going around. Pigeon would be enough to atone for you. But if you're that kind of a sinner, if you've run a Ponzi scheme that has, uh, that has just fed on the, the wealth of poor you know, widows, then you might need a larger animal to sacrifice. You might need an ox or a ram or a cow, something like that, to sacrifice. And these systems, man, these religious systems that humans are so addicted to, even today, they are unceasing. They are ongoing. You can never fully satisfy the wrath of God against you because even if you made a sacrifice yesterday, if you sin today, you got to go back. What do we mean when we say Jesus died for you? Here it is. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter, this is not in your study guides. You have to follow along on the screens or in your own Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. This is what Jesus came to destroy. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 and verse 18. Every priest stands every day serving and offering the same sacrifices over and over. Sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when the priest, that's Jesus, offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God because when there is forgiveness, instead of just a covering up, when there is forgiveness for these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. When we say Jesus came and died for you, we are saying that Jesus came to once and for all set you and everybody free from the cycle, the religious cycle of guilt and compensation, shame and payment. Jesus, God in the flesh, poured out his own blood to pay for everyone's sin for all time and to say you're forgiven and you're free. Because if the value of the blood should be equitable to the 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 the, the gravity of the sin, then how much sin does the blood of God cover? All of it. All of it. And if we're really set free, if we're really living free from those old systems of merit where you only get what you deserve or you get what you can pay for, We're really free from that. That's when we know we're with Jesus. He honored you before you lived honorably. He saw worth in you before you were worthy because Jesus, more than anyone else, knows your story. 
Jesus knows the inner wars you've waged and the inner battles you've fought, and he understands what has made you who you are today, and he's merciful with you. Here's what honoring your father and your mother will mean no matter where you are with your family relationships today. It means giving honor to someone who may not deserve it. It means treating someone honorably even when they haven't behaved in an honorable way. Friends, guys, ladies, if, you're, if your parents are still alive, I cannot tell you enough how much I urge you to make a call today. To call your parents if they're still alive, or if a phone call is too hard, somebody in the first service said, I can't call them, but I'll write them a letter. Y'all know what a letter is, kids? You, you get a pen and some paper, you write them a letter. And you don't treat it in a trite way. You don't say, well, my pastor said I have to honor you, so I honor you, okay, whatever. Ugh. No. It's as simple as saying, look, I know it's been a mess. I know your life has not always been easy. I know I haven't always made it easy for you. I'm not here to blame you. I just want you to know I'm grateful for everything you ever did for me, and I love you, and that's enough. That's it. But make the call. And that happy 20% over here is like, I just texted him right now. I just, I, what, during your sermon, I texted him a heart emoji. This, <laughs> we love you guys, but all right, enough. Okay. It's the other 80% of the room I'm worried about. Make the call. Not to be morbid or morose about this, but look, I have led too many funerals that were darkened by this cloud of regret for calls that went unmade and letters that went unwritten. If your parents are still alive, seize the moment and do not let that be you. Make, make the call. Now, even if you call them, even if you write them a letter, be prepared. 80% of you be prepared. They may not reciprocate. Their brokenness may be too deep. Their wound, whatever it is, it might be too painful, and they may not have the resources to reciprocate your sentiments. But that's not the point. The point is not to get something back from them. The point is to free yourself and to free them from whatever burdens you've been carrying unnecessarily because Jesus came and died for you and set you free from all that system of shame and compensation. No more. If your parents are no longer around, and maybe this is very painful as I share about regret and things because you carry some of that, it's all right. We don't believe this life is all there is. We believe in eternity. Tell Jesus how grateful you are for your parents. Tell Jesus how sorry you feel. Ask Jesus for forgiveness for you and for them. 
and be free. I want to wrap this up just real quick by saying a couple things to the different age groups in the room. Children that are with us today, kids, if you're still awake, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> kids, put down your mama's cell phone for a minute. I got something to say. Uh, kids, <laughs> no guilt. My kids have their, my cell phone in the media booth back there. So kids, listen to your mom and dad. They're not always going to be right, but your job, your God-given duty as a child is to pretend like your parents are always right. All right, listen, be respectful, be obedient, and trust that God will shape your parents and they will shape you according to his will. Teenagers, adolescents, students, you're going to go through times where you're going to rebel. You're going to think your parents are just the worst, and you might be right some days, who knows, but listen. As you grow into adulthood, you're entering this time of where, where you enter into more of a partnership with your parents to lead your family toward Jesus. Now, you are still under their authority. You're still under their guidance. You're not a leader. They're the leader. That's how God designs the family. But sometimes in a family system as well as in your workplace or at school, sometimes you can lead from beneath. And if your family has maybe not seriously pursued Jesus and understood the why in terms of the cross and what Jesus came to set us free from, sometimes, teenagers, you can be the spark that ignites something in your family. Those of you who are in adulthood, I'll just say it one more time. You still have your parents in your life, no matter how distant you are. Make the call today and let it be known that you're grateful for the life they gave you, for any good thing they did for you. If your dad was distant and a drunk and if he was not affectionate, but if he put food on the table, thank him for the food he put on the table. You know, have some perspective, have some mercy, and do for him what Jesus did for you. Honor your father and your mother the way Jesus honored you. Let's go to God in prayer.